On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we begin our next installment of the E-Series with Exploring Our Community, Defining Health Disparities, a conversation between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Dr. Goldie Smith-Bird, Director of the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and Wake Forest School of Medicine Professor of Social Sciences and Health Policy. This conversation with Dr. Bird sets the stage for our next series of conversations, unpacking what health disparities are, why they exist, and whom they affect. Let's get started. Trent joined Hospice of the Piedmont in 2013 as the organization's third CEO since its founding in 1981. He has 25 years in healthcare leadership. Most recently, he led the organization in navigating a successful merger with Hospice of Randolph. Thanks for being with us today, Trent. My pleasure. Our guest, Dr. Goldie Smith-Bird, joined Wake Forest School of Medicine in 2018 as Professor of Social Sciences and Health Policy and Director of the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity. Dr. Bird conducts research on the genetics of Alzheimer's disease in African Americans. Her work is published widely and she has presented in nine countries around the globe. She addresses health equity through research, efforts to create institutional trustworthiness among underserved populations, and increasing diversity in the biomedical science workforce. Dr. Bird won the prestigious Presidential Awards for Excellence in Science, Mathematics, and Engineering Mentoring at a White House ceremony in 2010. She currently sits on equity panels at the National Institutes of Health, the North Carolina Institute of Medicine, and pharmaceutical companies interested in diversity and inclusion. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, Dr. Bird. Thank you, Ryan. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, without any further ado, I hand the discussion over to you, Trent. Thank you, Ryan. And Dr. Bird, thank you so very much for joining me today. I appreciate the opportunity to have this really important, I think, an incredibly timely conversation about an incredibly important topic, and that, of course, is health disparities. You know, before we begin and sort of launch into that, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Maya Angelou Center and what the Maya Angelou Center actually does. Well, thank you, Trent. It's my pleasure to be here today, uh, and I'm always happy to talk about the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity. Uh, the center has been around for for quite a number of years, uh, I think it was, it was born in 2002. And today we are expanding our footprint in the community. We, uh, our pillars are outreach and education, of course, equity research, uh, pipeline programming and training. And we're adding, we're just uh, planting, the, planting the seeds for a social justice uh, and health policy arm for the Angelo Center for Health Equity. So we, we, con we connect with many different communities and particularly communities that are underserved. Well, so thank you very much for the invitation to be here today. Yes, of course. So, you know, as I was thinking about what our conversation might be today, um, I, I would, you know, did a little bit of research on my own about health disparities. And I'm astounded to, to have learned that a, 
Kaiser Family Foundation Center uh, Research re released a, a research policy paper not too very long ago, so it's very timely, about a year ago, that said estimates are that health disparities account for about 93 billion, and that's with a B, dollars in excess medical care and another 42 billion, also with a B, dollars in lost productivity per year, as well as economic losses due to premature deaths. This is a, a gargantuan problem, right? Absolutely. And so as I think about wrapping my mind around that and the reality that we all have some share in paying for that, right? I mean, we, we are all affected by that. I think we have to back up from that though and first understand what is a health disparity? I mean, just simply, what is it? So a health disparity is a measurable difference in health status uh, between people, um, uh, the, those uh, things that are related to the social and demographic factors such as race, gender, income, uh, geographic region. Uh, so those things that influence us every day that create this measurable difference in terms of health status or health outcome. And it, and it sort of, it spans the width and breadth of an entire population, right? I mean, not just, it is segments that are disproportionately affected, but it, but it affects sort of every segment of our population. Absolutely. In some ways, right? Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, people think about health disparities as those differences between races and ethnic groups. But, but you're absolutely right, it's much broader than that. Uh, you know, it could, be, it could be education, it could be, you know, just, just race, um, um, sex and gender, it could be where people live, um, environmental stressors. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, the, these just expand our culture. And so is it, is it fair to estimate that you know, those social determinants of health that you just mentioned, that those all sort of conspire, for lack of a better word, to sort of what we see as the end product is really the health disparity, perhaps, mm -hmm. and that manifests along an entire spectrum of life, I suspect, from very young to very old. Absolutely. Uh, I, as, you, as, as Ryan said in, in my introduction, I conduct research in Alzheimer's genetics and African-Americans, and even within populations, uh, these social determinants may differ. But when you have communities that are distressed and systems that are distressed, um, you, you, you will get disparities in health and health outcomes. One of the recent things that uh, has been exciting to know about uh, in the dementia world, which Alzheimer's is a dementia, is that 35 to 40% of cases could be prevented if we could improve those social determinants. And that, that is hot off the press that came out just this past summer. Uh, there was a Lancet commission that talked about it, but then the update this past summer was that at least 40% of the cases probably could be prevented if we could improve these social determinants. And when we talk about social determinants, that's astounding, by the way, but when we talk about social determinants, we're, I suspect we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about access to care, but more importantly, we're talking about even just access to nutritionist, nutritionist uh, uh, food um, and access to 
um, other things that sort of we all might take a little bit for granted um, if we're not affected by a disparity. Absolutely. So one of the when I'm presenting on this topic, one of the slides that I like to show is one from the CDC that shows that only 20% of health outcomes comes from actually the, the clinical side. Wow. At least 80% of uh, positive health outcomes comes from environment, our living conditions, um, our socioeconomic status, and basically these environmental and behavioral factors. So absolutely, it's, it's, it's everything from the time we're born, actually before we even born, mm. before we're born and then in the environment that we are placed in once we are born, we're born, all contribute significantly to health outcomes. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. So, so we've talked a little bit and sort of touched on this a bit, but why, why do health disparities exist? Well, disparities exist. If we if we focus on those social determinants, it, it, it didn't just start. It's been it has been laid bare um, since COVID. We've heard quite a bit about social social determinants uh, or social drivers, but certainly um, the, the 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 racism in our country has contributed significantly to that. And when you when you think about that, it's not only slavery within African Americans. But it's also you know, Native Americans and how they had how they got started and and what has happened in these communities. Hispanic Americans. Um, it's just been a trail of separations and um, casting, if you will, and then that has created gaps in socioeconomics, which creates gaps in health outcomes, health care. And, and so these, these are things that we need to think about as professionals, as community organizers, as community-based organizations, as our policymakers. These are the things that will have to be adjusted on a broad level, in a very complex way. So social determinants don't, didn't come overnight and they won't go away overnight. So we've got many systems involved in creating this, this very difficult situation we're in right now. Right. So when we think about it, you've touched on this too. You mentioned a lot of disparate populations, not just African-American, Native American, the Latinx, uh, Latinx populations. Um, you know, I'm also reminded that, you know, we live in a state that, that varies from very urban to incredibly rural. Absolutely. Um, where, where people who live in incredibly rural areas of, of the state or even our own region, because we have you know, areas within our own region that are incredibly rural and our own organization serves a number of rural communities. Um, they too are affected by health disparities. Is, is there a common sort of theme that runs through all of those um, sort of without regard to race, ethnicity, gender? I mean, uh, those are overlays, but are there is there one sort of under undercurrent that sort of affects all of them the same. Yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look in rural North Carolina, rural America, um, you know, you, you, rural Appalachia as an example, and so many of those are not people of color, um, but, but they are in distressed areas. They, mm. they're, they're located distant from medical centers. They are located distant from, they, they may or may not have appropriate broadband where they can get information as freely as others. 
Uh, they may not have the resource, certainly they, they won't have the resources and services, specialty care uh, as others. So we're talking, really we're talking about, from my perspective, socioeconomics. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're talking about access and, and socioeconomics. Yeah. And so they're, 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 you're right, they're not just uh, people of color, but they're all of those groups that we talked about. And, and you talked a little bit about literacy and let's have a brief conversation if we could just about health literacy and how people who are affected by health disparities or maybe uh, affected by um, social disparities in general, how, how are they affected by literacy, dis, disaffected by literacy, and how do they bridge that? Right, so they absolutely are affected by literacy. Uh, you know, the good thing about having a mobile phone is it is a small computer. So I, I do believe literacy has improved because of the smartphone. However, um, in some areas, uh, particularly in those rural areas that we were just talking about, you know, broadband access is huge. And there are gaps in that. And of course, that's being played out even in our school systems. They, there have had to be major adjustments there so that children in, and students in those areas will have access to get their work done. And we do worry about how their well-being, um, even in, in, in the city, but, all, but certainly in those rural and distressed areas and, and underserved areas. And so, yes, literacy is huge. It is difficult to, to really make a behavioral adjustments and environmental adjustments if you are not aware. And I think it, it takes institutions like all of us to help bridge some of that gap. I can tell you awareness is, is a huge component of what we do here at the Mindelo Center for Health Equity, particularly around COVID and, and other diseases, uh, not only acute diseases, but chronic diseases. Um, we've done an enormous amount of improving awareness about testing and resources and, and of course, vaccine uptake. So yeah. literacy is huge, yeah. You know, it's so interesting to me. I never would have imagined um, as the internet came into existence, you know, many years ago now, that we would even be thinking about that as a both a barrier in terms of access to and even a potential solution to healthcare access or even healthcare literacy. I mean, that's that's an interesting notion that I hadn't, you know, thought about until this conversation. I mean, that's that's really Absolutely. and I tell you, I you know, folks who conduct research as, as we do and who are engaging, uh, one big area that we need to think about is how we produce materials for uh, underserved communities. I mean, if, if, if communities are disproportionately undereducated, um, you know, and we, they don't read our journals. And so I was just in a conversation this morning with a group uh, conducting a COVID study. And I said, you know, we've been doing this study for a year now we need to get this data back to the community, but in a way that the community can understand it. So if we are writing at a 12th grade level, but the people we need to talk to are at an eighth grade level, then we have miscommunicated. So uh, health literacy is, is an area that we as, as, as persons who, and organizations who create materials should be much more um, aware and cognizant of those gaps. In, literary, in, in education. Right. That, that's fat. I mean, this is fascinating. So we've talked a bit about disparities and sort of what they are and, and, and 
who what groups of people are affected by them but we oftentimes hear sort of in parallel conversation right uh both health disparity and the term health care disparity and so are they different not sort of sort of in terms but again health care disparities you know they're related health care disparities relates to how people are cared for okay uh, you know what kind of care you can get what kind of access but the health disparities are, are those real differences that they 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 in terms of usually it's the differences in the amount of disease when we think about health disparities uh, we, we think about the the mortality rates we're talking about the and for COVID, as an example, we're talking about infection rates. We're talking about uh, disparities in how people live. You know, the essential workers have to go to work. Um, they may not have homes where they can, can be socially isolated. Uh, we're talking about the differences in the way they get um, they get help. You know, transportation. I've heard people say that it takes four buses to get to a place to take a vaccine. It takes all day or to get tested. So we're talking about the, the, those those measurable differences in the status of of people. We talk about health care is is really how people are cared for, the differences. Now let me just say one thing about care. In 2000, 2003, the the Institute of Medicine put out a report that talked about the differences in care, and the, in that report it said that African Americans get worse care even if they are able to pay or they are in, in spite of their level of insurance. Wow. A new report was just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that said African-American babies are three times more likely to die if they are cared for by white physicians. Hmm. So we're talking about, when we talk about care, we've got, we've got work to do on that side too. So schools of medicine need to be aware of those studies and we need to integrate health disparities and equity in our curricula and in our training and really, really do a better job of education and sensitivity and concordance, looking at concordance. And then we need to do a better job of getting students of color, of all colors, races and ethnicities and, and backgrounds into medicine and into positions that make policy and decisions about health. So we have, it's not just, this just occurred, uh, or these are the statistics. We have a very complex situation when we look, we're looking at health equity and health outcomes and health care uh, sure. outcomes, yes. You know, it occurs to me when you were talking about even how people live that perhaps are disproportionately affected by COVID, for example, um, you cited. Um, you know, it occurs to me that they may also be living in sort of non-natural families, right? Not the sort of traditional nuclear family that many of us may have grown up in and around. Um, it, it may be a multi-generational household um, yes. with, with beyond multiple generations, there may also be, as you cite, many, many folks who may be living communally together Absolutely. Um, across multiple generations, which, which sort of gets to my next question is, we see this now beginning to affect, I, I don't know that this is new, we've, it's beginning to affect a generation, you know, multi-generational, multi-generations um, within our population, right? Yes, yeah, so, so 
again, it is so important to have discussions like this because understanding cultures is, is critical to improving population health. So yes, there are, there are populations who tend to live um, intergen more so in intergenerational. And, and that's a good thing in, in their culture, that's a very good thing. Right. And, and so, and yet, unless we make health and healthcare much more equitable, that becomes a, a challenge for, for good, good outcomes. And so, so yes, I, I think that as we think about how we engage these communities, we need to do it with an understanding of, we need to meet you where you are, which is what equity is about, not equality, but equity. And so all of our communities are important. Their cultures are important. And again, I, I say that we have to do a better job with service providers and educators and helping our next generation to understand that these cultures are significant. But sure. how do we help? How do we uh, bring resources and, and good outcomes to these communities without discrimination? Sure. I, I know from my own experience uh, in our own organization, you know, we, we like to say that if it, if it exists within our community, we have touched it in some way, we have cared for it in some way, which, which makes it incumbent upon us as a healthcare organization to understand the different cultural approaches or ethnic approaches to end of life care, for example. And that's just as it relates to our own organization, but having the ability to understand um, their approach really helps inform the way we even go about yes. determining the provision of care. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our goal is to meet people, as you say, where they are. And part of that means that we have, have a responsibility to understand the context mm -hmm. in which they have lived and the tenets to which they have appended their beliefs. Yes. I mean, that's Absolutely. really important. Absolutely. We, we get to do that, uh, Trent, quite a bit in um, our Integrating Special Populations program in the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity. This is a program that's funded by the, our Clinical Translational Science Institute. And it, we get to look at communities and some of their, their cultures and some of their practices because people want, want to conduct research with, with these different communities, of course. So we, we get to ask a lot of questions about, you know, how people think about part, study participation. What are barriers? You know, what are motivations for participation? And, um, you know, we, what we know for sure is that we, we must take into account the history, uh, those practices. We, and, and again, we have to meet those communities where they are. Uh, and if we don't, what will happen or what has happened in the past much too often is that many studies and clinical trials that we all need to improve health outcomes never reach their target enrollments. And hmm. studies show that, that often we don't reach our target enrollments is because uh, we, we just don't take the time to understand those nuances in those communities. And so, so it's, it's very important even from on that level. Sure. So it's sort of taking, in the translational sense, it's taking it from the academic to the practical, right? Absolutely. I think that's what you're talking about. 
Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, exploring our community, defining health disparities. Join me next time as we conclude this conversation with Trent and Dr. Bird about understanding health disparities, why they exist, and what they look like in our community. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.